You are listening to a Science Actually production. Han Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. <laughs> it's great. I feel like, you know, after how many episodes we've had, we would have the sound check sorted, we'd have the internet sorted. But alas, always something new. I like to think that the uh, radio and or podcast professionals out there also have these problems, which makes me feel good because it means we're doing it right. <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think we're just more straightforward about it. Like we just, or more, maybe more, more lazy um, in right. that we don't edit this stuff out. We just use it for our wonderful cold opens. Exactly. All those people out there like throwing just piles of good money. <laughs> At post-production nonsense. <laughs> Fools. <laughs> There's a post to this production? <laughs> uh, well, welcome, folks, to uh, another wonderful and well-thought-out episode of <laughs> Science Actually Presents the Nerd and the Scientist. Benjamin is waving at you, but you can't see that because this is an audio uh, medium. But just know that he was waving at you really enthusiastically. Very enthusiastically. Thank you all for tuning in. And a huge shout out to our first listener in Africa. Thank you, Uganda. We love you. And thanks to you, we now have a listener on every continent except the cold one. We're looking at you, McMurdo Station and Amundsen Scott Station and Palmer Station. Why do you guys download our thing now so we can have, you know, total global domination? Over the SciComm podcasting thing. Please. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, yeah, Africa, there's just one download. Um, every other continent, with the exception of Antarctica, there are multiple downloads, which is really encouraging. And, and, <laughs> and thank you all for, for listening, or at least downloading, having a listen for 30 seconds and deciding not to listen. Um, but Antarctica, I feel like there's got to be so few people living there that, that we, could just, we could just email all of them by hand not even like a fancy computerized way just like yeah. dear mcmurdo station please What's download up, our podcast i'd bet you they would uh, like getting some swag brought in on one of those planes that land on skis once a month ski planes <laughs> yeah have you seen those planes huge cargo planes that land in antarctica and where the wheels come out they actually come out with skis in some situations. No. Yes. <laughs> yes, in some situations. I'm just in some situations, wheels. it's wheels, but some situations, actually, yes, skis. Picturing the wheels coming out of, like, giant ice skates on the bottom of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and the plane, like, rocks up to the Antarctic station and just does one of those, like, to the side skid landings and snow flies everywhere. Anyway, enough about anyway, that. Enough about that. <laughs> enough about that. What? What, what are we talking about today, Benjamin? Well, let's get things going. Let's get things on track here. A mm-hmm. couple of days ago, a couple of days ago, actually, this has been a problem that's been bothering both of us for a long while. And here's the most mm-hmm. recent example of it. Uh, Aaron Reich is a reporter for the Jerusalem Post. 
and he report he reports on a lot of their science articles and mm-hmm. when he tries to describe uh objects floating around in space or coming near earth whatever he tries to do so in a relatable context because when you tell the average person that there is an asteroid passing by you know a hundred thousand miles away or it's you know it weighs however many tons it's not exactly very easy to visualize and just this week he released that an asteroid the size of eight taylor swifts <laughs> passed by on tuesday two days ago and he does this often with other wonderful units of measurement such as canadian geese ducks capybaras bulldogs beavers chickens barbie dolls hot dogs big macs titanics narwhals alpacas he even calculated the value of one asteroid to be equal to 40 million elon musks (laughs) now while we all appreciate the comic attempt to try to (laughs) tell people the different sizes of things not everybody understands how big taylor swift is i assume not (laughs) I just, <laughs> I miss that one. Um, I know the work that Aaron's been doing and it's, it's, it's all in good fun. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Taylor Swift as a unit, I don't know. Like he, he did um, when I had that brown dwarf that I found uh, last year. Yes. And I, wrote this, I wrote this cool paper about this ultra cool dwarf star that has a temperature that's really, really low. It's like, uh, what was it? It was like the same temperature as a pizza oven. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought that was a cool comparison. And, you know, it's a, the temperature is about one-tenth of the surface temperature of the sun. Um, the sun has a temperature of like 6,000 degrees. And, and Aaron goes, yep, your star has the same temperature as five cups of coffee. Cups of coffee. <laughs> As if breaking it down to a pizza oven wasn't enough. It needed to be broken down further. (laughs) Oh, God. But no, it's it's tough. It's tough to actually find relatable units to use when we're discussing things in space that are, you know, otherwise so far removed from from our life, right? So, like, um, people talk about the distance to the sun as an astronomical unit, right? One AU. I'm assuming you've you've heard of AU, and AU is not just the uh, the suffix on Australian websites. dot com. AU. Fun fact. I thought it's something you Australians yell at each other. Hey, you, get over here. <laughs> that too. Um, <laughs> but like, but like, if you tell someone that the sun is like 150 million kilometers away, or like 100 million miles away, that's not that's not relatable. Right, like you can't, right. you can't hear that and go, oh, sure, I know how long it would take me to walk that. It's just like a massive number, and you're like, oh, that's right. super far. And then you realize, okay, so light, the fastest moving thing that we know of in the universe, takes eight and a half minutes to travel that distance. That's, that's you know, right. a light, a light minute, um, or eight light minutes in this case. That, that, I feel like that's more relatable. That's right. And the further away you go. 
the greater the distances and then the bigger units of measurement you need to describe those distances. Mark, astronomical units are great, I think, within the confines of our solar system. And it helps understand everything, how everything relates to each other. Earth, as we discussed, is one AU away but Mar from the sun. But Mars is one and a half that distance, 1.52 AUs away from the sun. So now it's easy to see it's just 50% further away from the sun than we are. That kind of helps put things in context. But then you start thinking about the outer planets. They're up in like Jupiter's five units away and Saturn's almost 10. And then Uranus is double that and Neptune's even bigger and I found out that the Voyager one spacecraft is 163 astronomical units away wow. as of January this year. It's insanely wow. far, insanely far. And if you multiply how it takes eight and a half minutes for light to get from the sun to the earth, multiply mm-hmm. that by 163. That's how long it takes a one-way trip message to get to Voyager and then it has to do it again back. So it's, it's wild. It's far. It's very far. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, I think this also kind of goes back to what we've spoken about in previous episodes about how hard it is to remotely control um, satellites and, and yeah. landers on, on planets, right? Because mm-hmm. like you were saying with Mars even, Mars, it takes about 12 minutes just to get the signal there one way. So you're talking about like 24, 25 minutes to get a return trip of you tell the robot uh, or rover, right, to do something. And the rover says, okay, I'll do it. Signal received. That whole thing takes nearly half an hour. Um, right. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty wild. It's also interesting to, to think about how um, good the measurements need to be of the distance um, when we're measuring different things in space. So, like, especially for... Um, fast-moving things in orbit, things need to be really precise in order mm-hmm. to to get their orbits right on. But we can we can talk more about <laughs> satellites uh, later on in the episode. But sure. it's just like we, we've we've gotten pretty good at this stuff. We're figuring it out slowly. I have a f- a little fun one. What is a light year? Is a light year? It's the distance the light travels in a year. We just mm-hmm. spoke about astronomical units, and that's 63,000 astronomical units. So in a year, light travels from the Earth to the sun that distance 63,000 times. That's incredibly okay. far. It's incredibly huh. far. Um, but what's a parsec? What's the use of a parsec? It's 3.26 light years. How often do we need to use a parsec? And uh, I'm going to Han Solo this in a second. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so parsecs, yeah, for for the average person, a parsec isn't super useful. For us astronomers, um, parsecs are a more natural unit to use because it's not just that they're slightly bigger than a light year. They actually tell you something about, um, or you can figure out the distance in parsecs based on the change in a star's position over time. Um, so, so um, you know, like the, the, the moon and the sun, we see them rise and fall 
over a day, over a night through the sky. Um, the rest of the things that are in the sky generally move a lot slower. So uh, more distant objects, even, you know, the whole, the whole sky, if you've seen those great time lapses of the, the Milky Way rising and falling overnight, um, you know, that, that, that kind of that whole thing shifts together. All of these um, distant, more distant objects, they seem to move together from night to night. But what's really cool is if you take a measurement um, of one of these stars at two different times in the year, let's say like you separate it by six months and you make a measurement in January and you make a measurement in June, um, our position relative to the star will change as well because we're on the other side of the sun. And so basically um, when the angle that we see between the position that we measure at those two different times of year changes by an arc second, which is um, basically there are 60 arc seconds in a, in a, in a arc minute and there are 60 arc minutes in a degree, right? Like, you know, you have 90 degrees as a right angle. angular degree. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause you're looking nice, nice. Um, it's kind of like an angular distance, right? So, so in the same way that if you hold up a pencil at arm's length and you shut your eyes and you open one eye at a time, you'll see the pencil kind of shift positions. So that shift in positions, um, of the star will be able to tell us how far away it is, how many parsecs away. So for every arc second that it shifts from side to side, it's one parsec uh, uh, distant from us. Excellent. So, yeah, that might have been too deep into the world of that angles was great. trigonometry. But <laughs> so. <clears throat> oh, God. So... I know what's coming. If the Kessel Run in Star Wars is 18 parsecs long and Han Solo managed to do it in under 12 parsecs, that means he had to find a way to shorten the distance of that run. And he did so <laughs> by skirting really close to the event horizon, but not falling into of black holes in something called the Maw Cluster. Uh, is that, does that make sense? And if so, think, by the way, getting oh, incredibly close to a black hole like that, just to skirt a few parsecs off of a certain route, does that make him a time traveler? I Listen, I don't know if, you know, George <laughs> Lucas had, had planned this knowing that a parsec was a unit of distance and not time. Or just added cool. <laughs> or just, it just sounded cool and he just went with it anyway or if it was something that was said in the moment they just, you know, they went with it. Um, but but yeah, like, you, you know, for, for, for years, for, for decades, it was, people just thought parsecs were a unit of time because it sounds like sex or seconds. Um, right. And that's, and that's wrong. Um, yeah, in the in the Han Solo movie that came out a couple of years ago, they did try to correct that by saying that like this place that they were going to in the Kessel Run was engulfed in this weird uh, storm of electromagnetic radiation that would destroy any ship. You have to kind of navigate through that storm, um, and it was you know there was like the the Kessel Run was like a set path through this storm, and nobody could find a faster route through it. But he found a faster route through it that was a shorter distance therefore taking less time. So <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> we could do a whole, we should do a whole episode on 
uh, things that are not quite right in uh, <laughs> not even in, in sci-fi, just in just in Star Wars. Don't get me started on lightsabers. But oh. yeah, that's that's <laughs> for another episode. I just got back from Disneyland. Try to go to Disneyland and not buy a star a lightsaber. We got one. We got one. <laughs> nice. You walk around the house going. Zh, zh. No, my son does. <laughs> but when he's not home, yeah, I do. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think it's uh, it's about time for our break. All right. Is there is there a particular ad that you were uh, or a particular product you wanted to tell us about? I, I got one. I got one. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen, and feast your eyes on the culinary marvel of the century. Introducing Metagetti. Are you tired of the same old spaghetti lacking that cosmic touch? Well, fret no more. Metagetti takes your traditional pasta experience to a whole new dimension. Literally. Picture this. Spaghetti cooked to perfection just like mom used to make it. But we're taking it further. We're taking it beyond the ordinary and straight into the heart of a black hole's event horizon. That's right, folks. Your favorite pasta is getting spaghettified in the most extreme environment known to humankind. Imagine the flavors being stretched and twisted in the gravitational forces of a black hole to the atomic level. Each bite is a journey through the cosmos, a taste sensation that defies the laws of physics. But don't just take our word for it. Come on down and experience the mind-bending deliciousness for yourself. Metagetti. Spaghettified <laughs> spaghetti. Only at our Cosmic Carnival stand. Hurry up before this cosmic culinary dis- adventure disappears into the abyss. Oh, <laughs> oh that's amazing. Metagetti. <laughs> get your metagetti. Get your metagetti. Get your metagetti. Right get your metagetti or get sucked into the black hole. Oh God! You've suddenly made um, spaghettification and being completely obliterated by a black hole sound incredibly delicious and yummers, fun. yummy. <laughs> oh, that's great! Good <sighs> stuff. Good stuff. I like these ads. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. I'm gonna be really, really sad when people start paying us, you know, through the nose to advertise on our show, and we just don't do these anymore. <sighs> I'm gonna be really sad. <laughs> Maybe maybe the reason that we've not gotten any sponsorships until now is that every time I send out a sponsorship uh, email, I tell them, listen, we will respect your product, but we will also make fun of it. <laughs> because I feel like we've got a rhythm going. We can't we can't suddenly just become too serious. That's, that sounds way too business-like and mature. <laughs> All right, well, maybe it'll work. God. But yeah, we, so we, we spoke about the... the the Kessel run. And uh, Mm -hmm. we spoke briefly before about satellites. Um, So, so one thing that um, I often think about when I think of large numbers um, is uh, Kessler syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I've thought about just the sheer number of satellites that we have in low earth orbit. Um, And it's just wild, right? Like we're talking about space, right? We're talking about um, an orbit that's about, like 2,000 kilometers up. So you think, oh, you know, space is huge and they're all flying up there. So what are the chances they'll actually meet? Yeah. Um, the chances are surprisingly high. Um, so so there's a, 
a website that you know shows you all of the satellites and all of the uh, satellite debris or rocket launch debris that's currently in orbit, and it's wild. What's the site? So the site is uh, Leo Labs, um, Leo as in Low Earth Orbit, L-E-O. Um, so it's leolabs.space forward slash visualization. Um, and when you look at this website, um, <laughs> Leo Labs is not a sponsor of this podcast. Um, like it, it looks like these satellites are going to hit one another. And then you say, oh, no, it's fine. They're just, you know, really... Um, really big icons that they use to do the visualization. Surely right, they're right. not actually that close. But what I've found out is that um, <laughs> satellites actually have to do an incredibly high number of autonomous uh, collision avoidances, right? So um, SpaceX, SpaceX, which has, um, I think, on the order of uh, 4,000, um, they have 4,000 different satellites. So they actually had to do, on average, 12 avoidance maneuvers each, right? So it's not like, oh, only one of the satellites happens to have had a chance encounter with another one. Um, all of them have had multiple encounters and have had to use this automated system um, you know, to, to, to avoid crashing into them and creating this Kessler syndrome, which um, I didn't explain, but basically is the idea that if an explosion of a satellite happens in space, right. um, that explosion will create tens of thousands of pieces of debris. That's and right. those pieces of debris will have a chain reaction and um, hit other satellites and other things that will create more debris until we get to the point that basically the entire planet is surrounded uh, by clouds of debris. Bullets. And that would be, yeah, they're, they're basically bullets in space, right? Like even a fleck of paint moving at those speeds um right right because because you're talking about things that yeah it's just wild speaking of the spacex uh satellites of which they are they're sent up in groups called constellations one ship Mm -hmm. shows up and sends out just like a just like fires them off like a rail gun just a stream of satellites which eventually spread out over time and they create a constellation around the earth many rings of spacex communication satellites that are now currently have like a little patchwork net around the Mm -hmm. world but those have uh self-correcting systems but those will only last a certain long time as long as they have fuel to do so otherwise they're just gonna i don't know how they're gonna take care of it china has a history of launching stuff into space without much concern as to where the initial stages or boosters go they try to aim it into the ocean, but if they don't, they don't. And um, there is one case of a Long March 4 booster mm-hmm. rocket that launched in the year 2000. And it's been tracked because it's a booster stage and it's just been tumbling around Earth <laughs> for over 20 years. It's currently in about 300 trackable pieces. And there are other pieces, I'm certain, that we just can't track because they're just too small. It's but too uh, small. Yeah. there are uh, about 300 pieces of this booster rocket. This is just one instance of one rocket, one part of one rocket. That's in 300 pieces just going around and around the Earth. And um, 
it was also, according to what I read about the Kessler syndrome thing, it was predicted in the 90s, I believe, and I'm sure we've hit it by now, that by the year 2000, the number of man-made bits of debris in orbit around the Earth will surpass the number of more natural meteoroid objects that we knew about. Oh, interesting. So there's more um, of our stuff up there than uh, space stuff. So I think on the Leo Labs website, um, they have about 20,000 objects that they display. Um, I'm not sure how recently updated that is, but I'm assuming that it's pretty recent. And um, it's just, yeah, I, I, I think we're only expecting to get more. I think Starlink is planning to have um, a total of like 40,000 Starlink satellites over the coming decade. Um, I mean, I know Amazon's doing a similar constellation thing, so, so I could definitely believe that. I'm not sure what the exact number of um, near-Earth objects, you know, naturally occurring near-Earth objects are. Um, but yeah, wow, I hadn't thought about that. We're uh, Yeah. Cray-cray. Um, it is cray-cray. I found out that uh, to give a little context a one kilogram piece of debris traveling at 10 kilometers per second which is very easy to achieve up there it has the potential energy to just destroy a spacecraft up to a thousand kilograms in mass so that's about a tenth maybe a little bit bigger than a tenth the size of the hubble space aircraft and this hubble's pretty big so an average communication satellite if it hit something like this, it would just be bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff is spinning around up in our atmosphere, or uh, above our atmosphere. So it's pretty much, pretty soon it's going to look like uh, that movie Wally. Wally, yeah. What What is good, <laughs> maybe on a more, <laughs> on a more uh, uh, a positive and optimistic note. Uh, <laughs> no, what, it, what is good is that um, one of the one of the benefits of uh, astronomy and the development of, of modern uh, astronomy in terms of like big data and machine learning in astronomy has been that astronomers, are, you know, when, when we see something flash in the sky, we want to figure out what it is. We want to figure out what kind of star just exploded or, um, you know, a, a meteor passing near the earth. And um, because of the way that satellites and satellite debris will reflect light from the sun, um, or in some cases reflect um, uh, radio waves that are coming off the Earth um, at different frequencies. We can we can accidentally, as astronomers, identify these things and be like, oh, wait, that's not a distant star. That's actually just a satellite or a piece of debris. Um, and so what's good is that as we get better at doing that, we'll be able to, you know, not just continue to say, oh, throw this away. We don't care about it. It's not a star. But identify and help track and uh, and monitor all of this space debris to kind of help uh, whatever comes along in terms of being able to remove it and deal with it and to, to help, you know, navigate around it. So that's encouraging. Right. NASA is also, uh, there used to be something called the XPRIZE. Uh, now mm-hmm. NASA has something called the uh, Delete, Track and Remediate Prize. It's offering a reward of $100,000 or more, $120,000 uh, 
uh, for people to come wow. up with a concept that will find debris, capture it, and send it back down. Obviously, someplace safe. Mm. <laughs> and get it out of the way. So they're trying to promote uh, some innovative ways that people can, you know, help clean up the mess. They're aware of the mess and they're trying slowly, but trying to uh, mm -hmm. uh, clear everything up up there. And there's also a group called Clear Space and their proposition for a mission called Clear Space One is a kind of uh, weird spidery looking satellite. It has its center bit and it has these long arms around it. And the idea is that these long arms, it'll direct itself towards a larger piece of debris, some useless mm -hmm. thing that's just there. And the arms will grab it, and then it'll just pull it right. It'll, it'll basically grab it and commit suicide with it as it falls back down to the earth. So there yeah. are some plans in place, some innovative, interesting future missions and spaceship designs that are going to try and help this growing problem. And I think I think that there are a lot of there'll be a lot of interesting science that comes out of you know developing new approaches and and, and new things that we didn't understand before uh, to solve this. Um, but I also think that you know in a lot of ways this this is an engineering problem. You know the, the same sort of people who are looking at how we can have um, more efficient uh, spacefaring travel. I mean, if you figure out the fuel thing. You could basically have something like what you were describing, a giant spidery thing or an octopusy thing or, a, or like a net that, um, that just goes through space and it speeds up to, to interact with a piece of debris and then slows it down. And basically, once it slows it down enough, it will just naturally, um, the debris will just naturally fall and burn up in the atmosphere mm -hmm. and then the thing can keep flying. Uh, so it's, well, I think we'll get there. I'm, I'm optimistic about it because we have to. Right. And some things could just be destroyed to a point where the bits, it's just, some things are, it, it is possible to destroy something up there, either with a laser or with a blast to such a de degree that the debris from that would be so particularly small it no longer becomes an issue. Not vaporizing it, but something close to. Mm. And when you destroy something, it's just it's it becomes non-issues mm. potentially. I read one of those yeah. things. I thought it was interesting. But even like a fleck of paint when it's when it's traveling that fast, True. I mean, yes. you know, it just zooms past you, and then you know. <laughs> From where Kavi sits, he has a little panel of sound effects. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Dopey, that was awesome. It's fun. This has been this has been fun. I like talking about space. As I like I'm sure about I listen to I like talking about space. It's fun to talk about space. I try to talk about space at home, but it ends up being I don't have enough space in my closet for more shoes. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I should be happy, though. They did say the word space. <laughs> nice. No, this is good. And I think that it's, it's, it's a bit of a public service to, you know, actually talk about how 
how how hard it is to think about these concepts in space without having some sort of helper, um, conceptual helper to to you know make things relevant and to understand these distances and the scales and the the times. Um, not that parsecs are times, parsecs are distances, <laughs> um, and like the number of satellites. But yeah, this this has been fun. I like this one. Thumbs this up. Yeah. One. I approve. We can publish this. Well, don't say you like this one. That implies that there are previous episodes you just walked away just furious. Hey, how do, how do the listeners know? Maybe there are some secret episodes that we never published. That's right. That's right. That's right. There was that one. It got a little weird. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, folks. Um, Benjamin, where can where can people find you if they want to? find more thanks for listening everybody you can find me under the name of science actually find us on facebook uh and all of them all all of them instagram threads twitter mastodon hive linkedin the ticky talky if you want to you know if you want to tick my talks go talk them (laughs) out man they're there and uh daily science facts lots of articles and things enjoy kavi where can the people you, find you? You, me, uh, the people. Um, I can be found uh, at Fun Fact Science on uh, all of the good procrastination and time wasty apps that Benjamin mentioned, as well as Blue Sky, um, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like dark matter or neutrinos. I'm, I'm around. Um, but you can find us both. <laughs> You can find us both. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we should do an episode on dark matter. What do you think? I think we should do that. That would be fun. We should get somebody who actually knows what they're talking about because uh, dark matter doesn't matter to me nope. in my research. Um, <laughs> this has been another episode of Science Actually Presents the Nerd and the Scientist. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Later, gang. Over my dead body. Yes, I bet you have. Sorry about the mess. Yeah, yeah, bueno, yeah. Then there was.